0: Hello there, Daniel McConnell from the Irish Examiner and welcome to our one-on-one interview with Taoiseach Mihal Martin. Amid all the uncertainty about COVID-19 and the ongoing impact it's having on all our lives, we had an awful lot to discuss with the Fianna Fáil leader when we met him in his office in government buildings on Friday. This is Mihal Martin. I hope you enjoy. Um, Taoiseach Mihal Martin, thank you very much uh, for sitting down with us today. Obviously, Taoiseach, the uncertainty around COVID-19, the rollout of the vaccine is occupying everybody's mind at the moment. And obviously the news now that the the numbers coming out of AstraZeneca are far lower than what we had anticipated. That obviously has a knock-on consequence for when the country opens up again. We're obviously in a holding
1: pattern at level five until March 5th. What happens after March 5th? Well, I think, first of all, there are three key factors here at the moment that's governing the strategy. One is actually getting hospital numbers down and ICU numbers down and keeping them down. We're all aware of the enormous pressure they were under for the last three weeks in particular. We just don't need to go back there again and we cannot ever go back there again and that will be a factor. You know Where we are at the end of February and the beginning of March in relation to hospital numbers and ICU numbers will be a big factor here because the, the, the frontline workers have been under enormous strain mm. and stress. I'm worried about burnout there sure. uh, and they need a break. Secondly, the variant. What impact will the variant have in getting the numbers down, so far so good. The numbers are uh, declining steeply. Mm. Uh, are very pleased with how the public have responded. I'm very pleased that the public are really responding to this. That will be a big help, um, and thoroughly, the vaccination rollout. Then, because the more we vaccinate, the more we prevent mortality and illness among vulnerable groups. Mm. So, um, the, the way I see it, uh, and as we speak, you know, AstraZeneca will be there will be an announcement in relation to AstraZeneca, uh, and so. You know, I was never I, so, so. After March, then to, to come to your question, I think we will we will have to be conservative and cautious in terms of reopening. I think schools are number one priority. Okay, special needs schools first. We're going to have to deal with the leaving certificate um, and, and respond comprehensively to the anxieties that students have in mm. terms of their that, and then a phased return of schools, beginning at primary level, um, during the next number um, of weeks in in consort, in, in working in. Um, with, with the partners in education. I think construction um, is next yeah. um, because that is an essential service and house building in particular because we have a big social crisis that hasn't gone away because mm. of COVID. Um, and in, in relation to everything else, then we will assess it closer. But I, I did use the phrase in the oil deliberately, a prolonged suppression of the virus because yeah. I really want to get the numbers down because I think it makes sense to be cautious now given that the vaccination has been rolled out. Now, on the vaccination numbers. Yeah. Q1 was always going to be low volume. I remember, I think I said it to you, and I think you wrote it actually. Then, um, You know, that in December I might have said uh, January, February, low volumes, uh, building up during the summer. Um, yeah. And August, I think, was a date, September, that we'd have uh, a significant majority done of the population. Yeah. So AstraZeneca has been a bump on the road, um, but the volumes so would. Some may say it's more than a bump on the road, T-shirt. We'll see in terms of two issues today. Well, one will be the authorization and the yeah. nature of that authorization, and secondly, the numbers. Uh, the numbers. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we will get our numbers as committed for February. We're not clear about March, okay. Mm. But we will we will be able to roll it out to the over eighty fives. Um, the, the vaccination program. We'll, first of all. We more or less had the majority of the nursing homes done, bar those that had COVID outbreaks, mm. uh, both residents and staff. We've about half of frontline healthcare workers done, uh, up to seventy-seven thousand plus. There's about one hundred and fifty thousand healthcare workers out there. That's the next stage. Yeah, finish. Them, you would accept and do and the avoid, second doses, yeah. right? But you will mm.
0: accept, though. Teague and Stephen Donny took some flack in the door about you know the numbers and the deadlines keep changing and the slippage all the time in terms of the numbers.
1: Public but, we, conf, but, but, public but everyone conf, everyone's, everyone's said that. Though. Yeah. I mean, from. Column Henry, everybody has made it very clear from the beginning. This is a supply-driven yeah. uh, issue. So is that criticism
0: then of Stephen Donnelly? Yes, as articulated by the opposition, unfair, very unfair, very I'm unfair. Kind of very taken back by it okay. because I
1: think it's a lot of noise about. We all know the realities in the first quarter. Okay, everybody. I mean, it's not his fault that AstraZeneca have had this massive row with the with the Commission, and I think the publication of the contracts today seemed to bear out what the Commission was saying sure. that there were commitments there, you know, that they yeah. entered into. But there was always a worry. One of the big developments has been the vaccines themselves so fast. Mm. I, I subscribe to the European view of you know, we combining our resources, uh, pre-purchase, that gave development money to the companies as well and, and security to, to invest in double quick time compared to normal Absolutely. with vaccines yeah. coming on stream. Mm. There was always a sense that there could be challenges around manufacturing capacity across Europe, across the world, because everybody's looking for the vaccine at the same time. Mm. Vaccines are coming on stream. And there's a bit of that playing out now in terms of the first incident was by Pfizer-BioNTech. Yeah, that got sorted, albeit it led to a week's disruption. Um, it could have been three weeks. It's much more serious with AstraZeneca. Yeah, uh, and so therefore I take it, the, the one point I would make: we do have to be very cautious. We can't say to people that things are certain; they are not. Yeah, they could be interrupted, but we have higher orders um, now coming in from Pfizer-BioNTech because Europe took, as you know. Um, additional orders from them in terms of uh, options Uh, and Ireland took those up immediately in terms of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine uh, and Moderna. Johnson & Johnson is another very significant um, vaccine that will probably arrive around early April, maybe before if if, if things go in the right direction.
0: Stephen Donnelly again said I suppose it was his hope and ambition, well saying not a promise, but his hope and ambition that the public or the, the population would be vaccinated by september is that a
1: realistic deadline well i mean that, that's i think within that time frame we will have a critical mass i mean i can't say what it, it'll be the entire population done at that stage yeah. over 18. um but i think we'll be well on the road Do well, we know by when the f- oh, do you, are you giving all the caveats the way, the way i look the way I, uh, bar astrazeneca what's playing out is as we were more or less told around december okay okay, december, okay yeah in this sorry december last Not, yeah uh, to me, uh, April, May, June, July will be big months, Okay. either way. Uh, and that's when you move to supply problem. The supply won't be the issue. The issue then will be administration of the vaccine. Yeah. Have we the workforce in place to administer the vaccine, the vaccination centers? A lot of work has gone into that. Uh, so, you know, the GPs have been signed on, pharmacists. Um, Did but, you
0: mention at the PP the other night that dentists might be drafted? Yeah, there's, yeah. A whole,
1: there's a whole list of other potential healthcare workers that could be used to vaccinate retired GPs, for example. Sure. Um, Dentists would be obvious candidates for, because they they're would professionals, they have the capacity and so yeah. on. Um, and um, also occupational health. Um, some companies have come to us saying, you know, in terms of the manufacturing industry, can we be of assistance to you? Mm. And the task force are exploring all those with the HSE uh, in terms of making sure that over and above your GP pharmacist cohort, that you would have a sufficiency of workforce to work in vaccination centers to vaccinate the population as the vaccines come on stream.
0: So, are we in a position, even say by the end of the year, into spring of next year, that we could envisage the entirety of the population being vaccinated? Yes,
1: I would. I would envisage that. Yeah. That, so that, that would be the target. End of year or spring. Or oh, before, I would like to think by end of year. End of year. Yeah. okay. But again, look, that's subject to the caveats. Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, the caveats, of, are, well, the uh, caveats are, well, the it's a supply yeah. uh, ch- chain issue, really. And, and, have, and um,
0: uh, Boris Johnson is, oh, and some in the Tory party in the UK are boasting about they'll have an excess supply within the next five to six, seven weeks. Have you rung him to say, listen, can we get some of your excess supply over here in order to... No, I, I, don't
1: quite, I, I, no, I believe I'm believe in working within the European okay. network. Um, and look, they're taking different decisions, which... I'm not so sure I'd be entirely comfortable with it. The, the the you know the spreading out of the interval dates. Um, you know the, the companies are saying our data is within 21 to 28 days. Certainly Pfizer, mm-hmm. BioNTech, um, and so I, I, I and I think there is a sense which is dangerous that people think if we get the first dose we're fine. Yeah, you know, you're not. Yes. Uh, the second dose is, is, is what closes the deal in terms of immunity, yeah. uh, and safety. And it, people have to be very conscious of that. So I get the sense in the UK they've driven on. They may. Be right in the end. They've driven on because of the variant has gone, ran through Britain. It's the it's the dominant um, uh, variant in the in, in all the cases. So there, there's probably real concern there yeah. that they're moving at pace to vaccinate.
0: You've been very clear this week, obviously in light of the, all the quarantine measures that you, you've announced, and you know the, your your repeated message uh, is you know no don't travel. So people are obviously looking to what they'll do for their summer holidays and staycations and all the rest of it. Will the country be open come the summertime for people to actually enjoy their summer? Will the pubs,
1: the restaurants be open come summertime? Well, I, I, at this stage, I think the summer, people will be able to enjoy the summer, but in, in what context? I yes. mean, the weather will be better, hopefully, and all yeah. of that. The hospitality is an open question. We haven't got okay. any call on that yet. Okay. It depends on where we are on vaccination. Um, but, I, you know, I'm going to be very cautious, to yeah. be honest with you. Uh, and um, I think we will start where I said, uh, and then we'll have to look at retail. But again, you know, I'm very conscious we've got to get the numbers down very very low, um, and I think we've had to, we have to have a conversation uh, with opposition and with the general public. Mm. Uh, my sense is if we're rolling out the vaccine, there's no point in being um, taking risks. The vaccine will give us ultimately the protection we require from illness and and and, and mortality and yeah. and maybe transmissibility as well. I mean. Yeah. The evidence, the jury's out on that, but I think there are some views that um, the vaccines will also be effective in preventing transmission. And if that's the case, we'll be in a much better position. You I put it this way, too. I think we'll be in a better position to make choices and decisions around May, June because of the vaccination program.
0: Yeah, you, you said at your parliamentary party meeting you gave the figure of 800 people coming in uh, via flights and you know, 397 of them were basically essentially coming home from their holidays. There's been a lot of talk, of, you know, a lot of annoyance around that sort of fact that people are coming home from some, you know, Christmas holidays or winter holidays. Should they face tougher sanctions? Like should people who are caught doing that go to jail? Because some so people, not, people are saying that, that like they should not be able to walk off the flight and go home as they were clearly shown by well, I
1: think the she report. Anyone who's demonstrably in breach of level five uh, should uh, be accountable in terms of the penalties that are there for, for level five. I, I don't want to get... To develop an over draconian sort of police state approach either sure. uh, to, to this because we do need buy-in from the public. Uh, I was surprised and, and denied that somebody went to, uh, overseas uh, during the Christmas period. Mm. Um, the variant has put a new dimension to this to be fair all round. and but the variant makes it doubly that people need to double down on, the, on, on not going abroad now yeah. and not going overseas and um, we, that is why we will have the police Checking at the airport, the guardy will be there, and at the ports to prevent this from happening.
0: Thinking locally, I mean, like the GA team were, were you know, there's an investigation going on because the Cork GA were, were training down in Yale. I mean, is that acceptable? Like, and should should people involved face sanctions for for a, a clearly, I, you know, breaching the any the
1: breach guidelines? of whether there, any breach of guidelines? If, yeah. p, if people were in breach of guidelines at that particular time, like that's not acceptable. Yeah, people shouldn't be in breach of guidelines. Yeah, um, but um, and level five has come in. Um, as you know, during the Christmas week um, and, and so on, and, and has been strengthened then um, since then. Um, so I think, but no, to be fair, talking to the chief medical officer, talking to um, uh, the HSE, I mean, Philip Nolan and, and Tony were saying to us the other night that basically this has exceeded their expectations, mm. the degree to which people have responded. Okay. Uh, because with the variant, the big fear was that the variant would retard your decline and would moderate the decline. Because what happened, in the reason they discovered it in Britain was in Kent, they had restrictions in place and the cases weren't coming down. So yes. they went searching and they found... Um, that this, they found a variant. Yeah. Uh, Going back to the Leaving certainty, you mentioned that there, yeah. it's still,
0: a, you know, there's a, a decision that's supposed to be taken. When will that decision be taken?
1: Well, we, we will be meeting, there will be an Education Committee next week uh, of the Cabinet yeah. in relation to this. I wanted to give space to the Minister and the Department. I met them last Friday. Mm. They've outlined certain options that, that they will be pursuing with the partners in education, which includes the students, yeah. and um, there's a National Advisory Committee that have been sitting all along on the exams. And the State Examination Board will have an input. Uh, We do get the fact that students are under enormous strain and stress and that we do need to bring clarity but it's a bit uh, I discussed earlier which uh, you know there's a growing in in, in modern era people want decisions the next day sure whatever decision we take will have implications for the students Mm. not this month but in June and July and perhaps beyond in terms of progression into third level or or, uh, apprenticeships or whatever program a student will, will, will pursue so we're very conscious of that too yeah. uh, and we have to see beyond the immediate now uh, as we make these decisions but i think you know we will i think i think students will will, will respond i think they would be uh, from you know i think what will what we'll emerge with will be something that will uh, give the students the comfort and 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 the clarity that they require right now what are the options like the options i mean i don't to go through them here because i go on there are discussions going <laughs> on but we do know obviously that there's Uh, Some students uh, want the the the, the grades process that we did last year. Uh, Some don't want to sit exam, Some do. Yeah. Um, And um, what's key to us is that there has to be a sense that students, you know, the students of this year will have a certificate, you know, of achievement that they will have um, completion to their uh, second level education. That will be that will allow them to progress to other forms of education or work. Um, and obviously, the, the options are, are, are quite a number of options, but there, there are choices there. Uh, and um, I think education are working with the partners now in terms of uh, settling down on the precise options. I'm yeah. not in a position to give okay. you those right Can now. I, I um, suppose just
0: one, one, because I think it would be interesting just to, to even uh, explore this. But a lot of the education partners or unions who I've spoken to and representing teachers' bodies, and I sit on the board of management myself. Yeah, you know, they, they. You know, the feeling is either if you can't do the full leavens or traditional leavens, or is some sort of hybrid model may, may be possible or should be even explored, that they give them some chance to sit an exam, but yeah. it might not be
1: possible to the full extent. Well, you see, that, that's one approach. There's a calculated grades as the other. Yeah. Um, but they seem very unkeen on, or not keen yeah, on that Yeah, but you one. see you can't... I mean, you, OK, you can be unkeen or, or lacking... Yeah. People are not keen on the calculated grades. Neither are people keen to go back too early to to the classroom, which I understand in terms of the, although I think something could be facilitated there in time, uh, given the numbers coming down now. Mm -hmm. I, I think we shouldn't close off that. But nonetheless, if you're closing that off, uh, then that puts pressure on the, the capacity to have um, the written exam. Yeah. Uh, so those are realities. I mean, we like what's key to the written exam is class time and, and yes. class engagement, classroom engagement between the teacher and the student. Mm. Um, so we have to take that reality into account, and that's exactly what's been discussed now between the minister and, and and not just the unions but the yeah. students as well. You,
0: you, you've made no secret of the fact that your passion for education yeah. and you're making it a priority. I mean, have
1: you a prefer?
0: You know, have you a preference yourself as to what you'd like to see?
1: Well, I think I'd like to. Give, we'd like to give options to the students. Okay, um, um, and um, I, I would like to think the more we can uh, move back towards normality in education, the better. Now, this year's cohort have had the double unfortunate, misfortune, sorry, of losing out some months last year mm. um, and this year. Um, so we just have to be reasonable about that and take yeah. that on board and take that into account yeah. in whatever we do. But when I say move back towards normality, I do. Understand the importance of, of having the leaving certificate, having a leaving certificate this year. Um, we did have one last year, albeit very um, small numbers yeah. in November, uh, and we had it in the middle of of level five. Yes, last November. So, uh, so the capacity to have that is there. The issue is the students getting classroom time with teachers. Mm. And uh, I mean, obviously, there was a an annoyance
0: amongst an awful lot of your colleagues in government that essentially Norma Foley tried once and, and then twice to get schools open in a limited form but was essentially stymied by, as she calls them, the education partners, the teachers' unions, led some to think, well, who's running the country? Like, Do the unions have too much power in this
1: process? I actually don't think it was the union leadership in the end. Okay. Uh, my sense is that there was a mass movement out there and there was genuine anxiety amongst the grassroots of teachers and special needs assistants. The very fact that 16,000 uh, um, People to, to, to um, The webinar The webinar for the, with the public health consultants tells me that. Mm. I was picking it up myself, I have a lot of contacts in the teaching sure. world, um, and what I would term moderate, reasonable people were saying, there's a lot of nervousness out there. And when you think back, the numbers were very high mm. uh, in the community. They're coming down, they're still high, um, but they're, they're coming down. And the variant you see really, I think, um, uh, worried people. Mm. If a variant is 50 to 70% more transmissible, Notwithstanding, the public health doctors did say and are saying schools are safe Mm. places and with the proper controlled environment and the protections and so on. Uh, But it seems to me that I think there's good work being, progress being made on special needs education. I think something similar could happen at leaving certificate level. And in the context of a phased return, we wouldn't have to have the million back at the one time. That was the big fear. Uh, And I think that would help in in the coming while maybe to to get an agreement on on the leaving certificate in particular. So
0: just for, for clarity, and I know it's all subject to, I suppose, agreement, what, the indicative timeline: so special needs or kids with special needs first? Yeah. By the end of February? Uh, yes, yeah. Before that, if we can. Primary school kids, by the end of.
1: Well, we we would like a stage return of primary school kids okay. again before the before the end of February if okay. we can. I think special needs would come earlier. earlier, earlier. Yeah, earlier. Okay. And, and then, see how that works out. The leaving certificate, I think, will depend on the talks that are now yeah. going on in terms of the options that we will be that will come back to government from the Minister following her discussions with the partners uh, and that includes the students, and I have to stress that their, yeah. their voice has been listened to.
0: And are we looking at, say, the proposal as it was, like a three-day week as opposed to a five-day we'll week? We'll see, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll so see, yeah. So that's an open question? That's I'm an open thinking. question. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, moving on um, to another topic, and this is one that, as a paper, we're kind of keen on, is you know Ireland's role on the U- UN Security Council, and um, you know the, ta- or the former Taunashe, Foreign Affairs Minister, Simon Coveney, condemned the Russian I suppose apprehension or capture of of Alexei uh, Navalny is Ireland going to use its position on the Security Council to I suppose condemn Russia directly on the Security Council and, and force them to I suppose let him go or or what's Ireland's official position
1: in relation to that? Well, our official position is similar to the European Union uh, partners, where we've we've condemned the imprisonment of Navalny, but also what happened to Navalny prior to this. Yeah. Um, and there's been an ongoing tension between Russia and the European Union, uh, and sanctions have been imposed because of the Ukraine. Um, But the the Navalny incident brings in a very sinister um, element to this. Mm. Um, And on the Security Council, we will be a voice for democracy, we will be a voice for um, for, for free speech. Uh, But also, there's a practical edge to the Security Council in terms of uh, it, it's the it's the very height of of diplomacy at work um, working out the compromises uh, you know we have a role in some important files uh, particularly in Syria uh, with Norway for example um, uh, and also in, in in terms of climate and, and security around the climate change um, agenda mm. uh, and also um, the Iranian um, uh, nuclear situation so, Ireland, uh, the, the, the Ireland, The bona fides of Ireland are well accepted internationally. Mm. And um, I can recall when I was Foreign Minister, it was both Russia and the United States wanted Ireland to take over the chair of the OSCE at the time yes. uh, when they both came to see us and said, would you do it? And we said we would. Uh, it was back in 2010. Um, so, and that, I can recall another, during the UN General Assembly, when, on the most difficult and complex issues, nuclear proliferation in the Middle East. Mm. The one country that could be deemed to be the most effective in sharing session on that was ireland so i think we we bring a, a certain sense of diplomacy a conflict prevention experience conflict resolution it's a more thematic approach yeah. than going on to security council to condemn one country versus another country it's yeah. just trying to work out and prevent conflict and to try and resolve issues
0: what i suppose a lot of people say because i was there in new york at the, the time of the launch so i went to I was part of the traveling delegation that went to, to new york and again the the constant question we were always asking was right what does this mean for Ireland other than I suppose being a, a kind of a fill up in the cap for officials like I mean what does it practically mean for Ireland as a country? Well I think
1: it builds up our human capital actually in terms of um, the international diplomacy um, the profile of the country the prestige of the country the degree to which the country can contribute to world problems mm. and how we can be problem solvers um, and I, I see it much more it's not just about because we've been there before but it's, can Ireland bring value to the international stage through our own experiences in conflict resolution, but also our principles around uh, multilateralism, um, around uh, supporting developing countries, uh, and now increasingly uh, to take a leadership position in climate change. Mm. Um, but our diplomats who will be at the, uh, at the seat here, and you know, will be working on all these files, you enrich yourself that way in terms of human knowledge and capital. Mm. You build up important contacts. Uh, and makes Ireland um, a country that is respected globally for the contribution it can make. Um, and, and, and that's the longer term uh, because we have a strong diplomatic network in Ireland. Uh, we, I, I think, in, having been a former Minister for Foreign Affairs, I have great respect for the people who work there. Yeah. Um, and that matters, I think, in terms of how our country is perceived. It, matters. it takes time for all of this to filter through, but in terms of being a destination for Direct investment in terms of being seen in a country that's stable has good values, good principles. Mm. People want to work with you, then, yeah. and want to engage with you. Um, I remember when we did the cluster munitions ban. Uh, you know, countries like Norway, Peru, were all happy to work with Ireland sure. on, on issues like that. Yeah.
0: M- moving on to a, to another topic because I'm I'm conscious of time. Um, you're eight or nine months now in, in this job, and you know by any stretch of imagination you've had a, a whirlwind of, of myriad of and and of of challenges. You know, you've lost ministers, you've had turbulence internally, your party's poll ratings are probably lower than you probably would want them to be, and obviously you're dealing with a pandemic and and Brexit. Um, I suppose, how are you coping in the job? Because a lot of people have said to me, you know, Jesus, like, how does he get up in the morning given all that you're facing? I mean, it must. At some stage, get 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 in on you, or does it?
1: No, I mean I, I'm fine with all that. Actually, yeah. I, I suppose look, um, political decision making was never a problem with me or the nuts and bolts of politics. No, yeah, coming in the COVID nineteen is a warrior. It's a big big issue. We've got to put the country through COVID because I, I can recall as a minister for health, people talking about pandemics and saying we must prepare for pandemics, but mm. no one ever really thinking the pandemic was going to happen yes. in their kind of lifetime, which was. There's always a problem with human nature. Well, you've, you've just, but you've been confronted with such a Yeah, the first month was a bit of... Uh, you know, was tumultuous, was, 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 was turbulent. Yeah. But at the same time, we got a hell of a lot done in the first two months. Mm. I mean, I think it's been a very energetic and productive government, yeah. uh, not just legislatively, uh, but actually I see coming out of COVID. Uh, I see big changes in health. I think it's an opportunity once and for all to embed permanent reform in health but it also will mean higher investment levels. Yeah. And uh, the, the 600 million we put into the winter initiative and Paul Reid is saying this increasingly it has made the difference. Yielded it's made, I mean if we didn't do that we would be in right trouble now yeah. in terms of the you know the high occupancy levels. Sure. So there's there's lessons there in terms of community interventions in terms of making sure home care packages are there for the elderly yeah. in demand. There are all the things that got cut at the time of the crash last year. Yeah, but and, and also in pre- all governments guesstimated... The monies that would be needed for the elderly or the demographic, what's called the demographic, demographic increase yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. or an older population. So that ended up then that senior citizens were spending too long in acute hospitals when their treatment was over, couldn't get out into a step mm. down bed, or couldn't get a home care package to get home. The flow through the hospitals prior to this recent phase of COVID had been very good. Mm. We didn't have the same numbers on trolleys in, in October, November as the year before because of the investment. But there has to come reform as well, right. um, and I think that's the, that. that is, and I think out of that. The big piece we've learned, and you've, you you pick it up in, in in the vaccination thing about the IT network, the European Recovery Fund themes are green recovery and uh, digitalisation. Mm. I'm ensuring uh, through the National Recovery Fund we will have a ring fenced fund to digitalise our health service and make sure we bring it up to speed to the modern world in terms okay. of technology, which will you know electronic patient sure. records and all of that. Uh, and, and that's something that you know I'm very policy focused in many respects. Yeah. So I want to. But you also you're also unlike many Taoiseach, you're, you're facing
0: a very hard deadline. You know, you leave this office at December, December mm-hmm. next year. I mean, obviously your legacy or your ability to, I suppose, pursue your legacy. Because I look back to your, your, the speech you gave on the day you became Taoiseach, you set out a whole very extensive agenda in education, health, yep. etc.
1: You can do none of that because of COVID-19. Well, I, I'm just saying, in health we can. Yeah. Yeah, I think health will, be, will never be the same again. Okay. I actually think we've learned a lot of lessons through COVID. But do you not accept that much um, of what you
0: would like to do is going to... I think to be- housing is the
1: one I'd be concerned about. Okay. I think we're doing great... Well, I think Dara O'Brien has brought great energy mm. into housing. We've put $3.1 billion into the... Um, the budget this year for but housing. all the targets are way off the because of this lockdown on the yeah. first two months that will, but we could pick it back up again. Okay. And I think on housing we will make a difference. Yeah. Uh, education, um I the very fact on day one we set up a new mm. Department of Higher Education Research, which was a commitment I'd made prior to going into government and you know, I'd made a quite a number of speeches on research and I've sure. been committed to research all my life. And I think that will bring big that will be a very significant change for the future of this country. Yeah. The Shared Island is another uh, initiative we've Which we have taken. we covered extensively in our paper Christmas. You did, Christmas. and it's up and running. Yeah, And it's up and running and uh, we're making progress on that. The 500 million ring fence funding now um, is certainly putting flesh on the bone in relation to things like the Ulster Canal, yeah. the, okay, the various but, other projects like Narrow Water and that. Um,
0: I don't want to get diverted off the, where, my, my train of thought but I, okay. there's one question in relation to the Shared Island I do want to ask you. and. Um, You know, is the shared island uh, unit not the perfect vehicle for you to improve cooperation with the north? Because again, a lot of people are saying the lack of an all Ireland approach in relation to COVID-19 undermines any strategy that we've been pursuing. And the fact that we haven't been able to get, you know, Ian Paisley 20 years ago, you know, was able to adopt an all Ireland approach in terms of foot and mouth. But yet the current crop of politicians north and south can't seem to get it together surely the, the Shared Island Unit is the perfect opportunity or the vehicle to, to
1: make that happen. Well, the Shared Island Unit is, is, is predominantly about how we share the island together into mm-hmm. the future, now and into the future. It's a good first step, though. Well, it. yeah, but you see, the difficulty is there's been politics within the North, on mm-hmm. this, so you know that. Um, there's five parties on the executive. They've had fairly torturous discussions. They've got to the level five now. Yeah, we Deliberately put the the extension out to the fifth of March to align with Northern Ireland. The officials are working very well, okay. actually. There's there's a difference between the noise at political level and yeah. the work that's underway between the two sets of officials, Fair enough, okay. between the Northern Ireland office and and, and officials in, in my department and Martin Ferguson's team and and and, and okay. that. Um. And so progress has been made. The big issue is travel, and clearly unionism sees UK to Belfast as, uh, as, as something internal. That's the way they look at that, and mm-hmm. they don't see it. Perhaps in the same way we see it uh, in the context of public health um, so we're, we're working to see can we get greater alignment around that particularly with the arrival of the variants. Yeah. How know? frustrating is it to work with Arlene Foster and the DUP? I wouldn't say frustrating um, I, I, I would be in regular contact and touch um, and um, obviously uh, you know they, they would have they, they would look at on the south and uh, you know, in, in a different way uh, f- from how we would like perhaps. They, they see the politics is never far away in terms of the North-South relationship and what I'm trying to do through Shared Island is to just move to one side sure. and get some pragmatic stuff done. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of uh, going on on the island of Ireland that, that doesn't respect the border. What I mean by that is that the economy is going well. The, I think the Brexit outcome which was our first major challenge in the last six months to just mm. see that out. Okay. The protocol and so on like that. There will be work needed on that yeah. still. But We've preserved the all-island economy. Uh, we want to put new imp- impetus into the um, the North Shore bodies. There's a billion coming on stream now, next number of years from the peace fund, on top mm. of the five hundred million, yeah. which we got some additional monies from Europe for that, which allow then Britain to give more and the Northern Ireland yeah. Executive to give more. I get on well with Arlene Foster on a personal level, um, and I maintain regular contact. Um, and um, you know, but it, that there there have been challenges. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I think issues like it's clear within the North around uh, COVID, the Bobby Story funeral, and I don't want to go into the pros and cons, but that didn't help relations in, in, in the beginning. Yeah. But I think Michelle O'Neill and Arlene Foster are doing their best to to to, to pull it together for okay. COVID. Looking back internally in
0: terms of your own party, a number of your own TDs, Barry Cowan, Michael Moynihan, Sean Haughey even last weekend, have said that you won't leave the party until the next election. You've clearly stated that you want to be taunished and you will lead them into
1: the party. Are they wrong? Are you right? Yeah, I think I've made my position very clear. Like, I respect people's views and perspectives on this. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people in the parliamentary party uh, want to focus on COVID. uh, And they get the fact that the party can't be self-indulgent in terms of itself Mm. in the middle of a global pandemic. And it needs to put the country first and the people of this country first in terms of the issues. And I think all are agreed on on, on that. And Mm. as far as I'm concerned, this is a historic coalition, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Green Party. Uh, and the composition is one, and then the policy platform with climate change. I think will be will leave a lasting legacy. This government will leave a lasting legacy. That's my determination. So you will be therefore, to, yeah. It's yeah. important that we make this work. Yeah. And if anything, since I became leader of the party, and I have my critics, you know, I have developed a more consensus style of politics in opposition. Mm-hmm. No, that's not being reciprocated totally now. Uh, but. You know, in terms of the fiscal treaty, when we were only 20 seats, I could have played Molly Bond with that. I didn't. I kind of did the right thing by the party and said we're pro Europe. Masse and Jack Lynch brought us into Europe. You lost the deputy leader over that one, though. Yeah, Yeah. and issues like that. Um, um, But again, that's the point I'm making is it would have been easier for me in opposition to play an opposition role. Likewise, obviously, I think there was a strong support in the party for marriage equality, but on the Eighth Amendment, we played a very constructive role in opposition. Um, and, but do and, uh, yeah. the scars of say particularly the abortion issue in 2018 when you know, a majority
0: of your party sort of went against you um, but you were obviously proved right in terms of public opinion, I mean do the scars of that row still linger? Because there are clearly a number of your party who say,
1: what's our identity, we're so low in the polls, well, we're I say, struggling. I think, I think a lot of parliamentarians learned from that and, and again I, we did have the vote of conscience which people respected. Yes. And you take someone like Mary Butler for example who's been a very effective uh, minister for uh, state for, for for older people and as a spokesperson in that area. And mm. on dementia, was was a brilliant opposition spokesperson, worked with Senator collect Keller, yes. did a lot of good work on dementia, for example. And I just witnessed Mary's determination uh, and ambition for her portfolio and for the people that she's now representing as minister. And so there's no scars there in terms yes. of, even though we'd have taken different positions mm. on the Ed amendment. Uh, and that would be my uh, attitude. I don't think the scars are there on that, To be okay. fr- to be frank. I think people have... Reflected on that too, and um, you know, when I was on the doorstep knocking on doors in relation to that, I also picked up amongst the public that there was no absolutism on that issue. Yeah, and you know uh, what I mean. Like, like some people voted yes; uh, there might have been seventy percent on the yes you, way totally, Some people voted no; there might have been sixty percent on totally, the no side. You, you know, totally the, yeah. there are always nuances here. Yeah. yeah,
0: and and in fairness, you know, it was a remarkable sort of. You know, I think the poll results was a remarkable illustration
1: of just how public mood had changed and maybe yeah. it may have been ahead of the political system. What was also important, though, and I, we, we take some credit for this in the opposition in some ways, but the world had moved on, it was far less divisive than previous polls on yeah. that very subject, yeah. say, a decade earlier. Mm. Well.
0: Um, in terms of the, the party itself, I mean, um, you know... Um, Owen Harris famously said to me back when I was with the Sunday Independent that you know a leader needs to treat his backbenches with contempt
1: and you know, would you say you treat your own backbenches with, with contempt? Not at all, no. no. I'm, I'm ringing them very often. Yeah. <laughs> if only someone testified to you. Yeah. I mean, they contact me a lot and I ring them back. Yeah. I, I know. I, I Look, I worked with them all. Yeah. You remember when the party, we had 20 seats yeah. um, in 2011. We had to build back the party. We won, won a majority in the first local election two years later, yeah. three years later. And I would have... 22 of the TDs elected in, of the 24 TDs elected in 2016, I would have worked with on local election, knocking on doors with them. Yes, yeah. I worked with them in 2016, well in advance of the election, knocking on doors with them. Yeah. And even the TDs elected now, I worked with many of those. So I'm in very good first-name terms with all yeah. of the TDs. Uh, I think, obviously, when we got into government, the last election, we would have preferred a better result, no yes. question about that. And that created, well question tensions and concerns and that I understand and then when you're into government and then you're making appointments you can't you, we just didn't have enough portfolios yeah. for people who would have had a genuine shout. sense of uh, you know yeah. I, I could be in for a shout for, for a minister yeah. and that would create disappointments and that's always been the way in politics yeah. but do you uh, think from my that, experience and taking say for the example of say Michael Moynihan your former chief whip you know he was
0: very critical of you on radio two days later I mean was that it just purely, there wasn't enough room for him because he would have, I suppose, as as your former yeah, yeah, whip, he would have had a genuine ambition to at least. He be would, dead. of course, yeah,
1: and um, uh, absolutely. That we just didn't. I mean, we 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 had a limited number of positions. It was a very very difficult choice, impossible yeah. choice. And former T. would say that to you. that's yeah. that's the worst day actually. You just get elected. But then you, you you have to pick your okay. your, your cabinet it, nominees and your ministers of state, and that's the most difficult part yeah. of it. Is there any road back to a ministerial position for a Derek Leary, your former uh, uh, Dar- deputy I, leader? Yeah, there are always roads back. There's always. I mean, I've I've learned that in politics. Yeah. And, and people, politics changes very fast as well. But uh, I, I suppose I asked the question specifically yeah.
0: about Derek Leary because he resigned so quickly. He was seen to take a very honourable stance in terms of the mistake that he made by going to the the event itself. Um. And you know, I suppose he. A very capable individual. He's very capable that. and very yeah.
1: constructive um, uh, member of Parliament, yeah. and, and I think well liked across the house. Um, and, but I, I mean, obviously we have our ministers now and so on. Yeah. But I, I do. I mean, I think Dara's, the door, So the door is not closed. the, no. the door never closed on anybody. Yeah. Uh, okay. And 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 I think Dara has a very uh, strong career yeah. ahead of him. Uh, and by the way, I just on the party. Yeah. Like we had a very good session the other night, where numerous presentations were made on behalf of people who would like to. F- Get our nomination to fill the a, Shannon Shannon vacancy, mm. and I just looked at that and said, know oh, wow like that's a very very um talented diverse group of people mm. um, from Ramoon and Longford uh, right through uh, to, she, to I think to, she had the line of the night really, I think did she she had yeah, yeah she, she was strong um, yeah. and um but it's it, it just, I said to myself, you know, okay, you've, you've been leader. This is exactly what I wanted to do. I, yeah. I remember saying at the time I wanted to create a new generation of politicians. Yeah. And we, we have a very good talent base within the parliamentary party. Yeah. So why so are poll ratings I'm not worried about the poll ratings, okay. generally. And I think some of the Red Sea stuff, it's online polling now. It's not yeah. comparable to previous polling. Okay. I, I'm very confident at the quality of the TDs we have and senators and councillors. Mm. And that's a key factor in winning elections and winning seats. So I wouldn't be phased at all, because I've been there before with, with, with the polls, so I'm not a bit phased by them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I know how to engineer good election results. Uh, okay, people said the last one didn't work quite out. I think we came in uh, to the last election, people had us penciled in as favourites and so on yeah, like yeah. that. Whereas in 2016, we came in well under the radar. Mm. People thought we'd be low 30s. And yeah. that th- the, the dynamic of the campaign is the lesson I learned from it, okay. that the dynamic is the most important thing. Yeah. A lot that goes on beforehand actually doesn't play out okay. in, in in the modern world in terms of the dynamic of a campaign itself. Yeah. But if you recall, just two months before that general election, we won two by-elections Absolutely. out of four. And yeah. then we had won the local election yeah. when we were the largest number of Certain people, seats. eminent pollsters, were saying you might get 60 seats. like you know, Which yeah. is nonsense. Yeah. But we knew we weren't getting 60 seats, yeah. by the way. Like, we okay. knew that internally. But yeah. then, at the same time, we we would have been hoping for 24 25%, which would have increased your the yeah. numbers. The um, I, I so noted, small margins, yeah.
0: Zone. I noted your interview in the Sunday Independent last week, where you um, opened the door, received open the door, or softened your position in relation to Sinn Féin, that, that your dynamic or your relationship with Sinn Féin as possible coalition partners down the line is evolving. I think, uh, not to misquote you, but. Is that you deliberately saying the dynamic is changing that you know in the future? Because you were so strident in, in your opposition to doing any sort of deal with them before the last election.
1: Do you see your party doing a deal with Sinn Féin? I think I think it would be very difficult to do a deal with Sinn Féin right now in terms of its policy platform. Yeah. Um, it's just as... Uh, I think they're moving more and more to the far left in, okay. in many respects, and the economics of what they're saying, if you add it all up, doesn't doesn't um, work out. Uh, and their issues on enterprise trade. And all of that is, 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 is problematic. So, But what the, the, the context of, in, in terms of those remarks are that you know politics does evolve. Yeah. You know, And, not, and I think we will have a much more fragmented political world into mm. the future. Uh, in many ways, PR, multi-seat PR is meant to give you fragmentation. For most of the uh, 20th century in, in modern Ireland, it didn't give us didn't fragmentation. Give us fragmentation. I mean, to, yeah. uh, we now have fragmentation, and I think it's here to stay. Yeah. So in that context, yeah, I think there's going to be an evolving situation where now, whether politics gravitates back to the centre yeah. or goes to the extremes is an open question. That, okay, but uh, just to, just opinion. To we, we will be very much in the centre ground. Okay, so just opinion
0: down on this, because again, because you know you're saying it's very difficult at the moment to look at doing the deal, but it is evolving. So that would strike me, and not to parse what you're saying, would lead me to think that
1: there's potential to at, well, least, not, to well, at least explore. Yeah, I'm not predicting the future. Is what I'm saying, okay. I'm not going to be saying something is never going to happen into the future. Yeah. But what I am saying very clearly, I, I think the current government has, has a strong you know, there's strong complementarity on what we agree we can do. There's disagreements on some issues, so where we disagree, we can't progress them. Yeah. Uh, but on, on, on some key issues around climate, say you take climate, for example, Sinn Féin is regressive on climate, mm. very regressive on climate, and wouldn't be doing the things that we're now doing with the Green Party. Uh, of that, I'm certain. Mm. Um, and it's a very populist party. Um, and I think there would be real issues there. And it took so long to negotiate the programme for government with the Greens and Fine Gael. I, I think um, I would not underestimate the difficulties and challenges trying to sit down okay. with Sinn Féin and negotiate a programme for government. The
0: other night, Bertie Hearn addressed a, a group of your, the Cush winter group of your your party, mm-hmm. and he's due to address, I think, the coming in UCC next week. Do you have an issue with that?
1: No, I mean I think um, he, I think he. Has made an enormous contribution in terms of the peace process and the Good Friday. He was the key architect with others of the Good Friday Agreement. Mm. So I think, but he left
0: your party in in less oh, no, than but, stellar circumstances. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I know
1: I think in terms of the context of people wanting to hear what he has to say. Yeah. You know, we, we live in a democracy. We live, you know, we talked about earlier in terms of security council. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've he, he speaks to academic um, conferences. You know, he speaks on the. Downing Street Declaration right through to the Good Friday Agreement. He still works on the North, works with with, with Republican groups and and, and Loyalists, Mm. you know, in terms of, and is involved in trying to progress issues in in Northern Ireland. So he has an expertise in Northern Ireland. Uh, And it's only natural that people would want to hear him speaking at a forum. uh, Is there, like... you two
0: obviously relations obviously soured in the wake of his departure from the party and some things were said. Now obviously he sent you a very gracious letter, I thought it was in the papers last weekend, on you becoming Taoiseach. Some are seeing this, and some within your own party You said it to me, they see this as the beginning of the road back for him to the party fold. Is that on the agenda?
1: No, I think what, what it is, I, I, you know, in fairness, he also you know, um, logged on online to the Shared Island and, and participated in that, mm. uh, the first dialogue we had and the speech I gave and so on, and I spoke to him afterwards on that okay. um, in terms of his views. He, thought he, he, he endorses the Shared Island idea and the unit. He thinks it's very good work. And uh, he offered any help and assistance he can, he can make. Mm. It's all um, sounding very positive, tissue Well, no, in terms think. of the... Look, I, I think in terms of... The, like, to me, one of the passions that brought me into politics was Northern Ireland. Yeah. I mean, when I... When I, I was a young child when the bombs started going off. Mm. Um, and it was a daily diet of our lives. And for younger generations, that may not be... As, may, might not have that sense, but you, it was just... A, we never saw it ending. Yes. We never saw it ending. So to be in a government where the Good Friday Agreement happened, as I was in 99, was a great privilege, but... Uh, and so I, I have a great passion to try and continue to make it work. Yes, and that's why I set up the Shared Island. And I think he has a particular expertise and insights on that, and yeah. and, and, and contacts, mm. um, uh, which are not just in this island but globally. So uh, I think uh, you know anybody who can make um, add value to that whole agenda to me is, is worth listening to. But in terms of saying, should an application come from Dublin Central to readmit him to the party? Yeah. Is that's- I don't think that's going to happen. I don't okay. anticipate that. No, okay, I mean, but not- would you have a view, as if it did? No, I, I, look, I, as I'm saying, uh, right now I think the, the engagement we have on policy issues is where it's okay. at yeah. one of the other questions i suppose i meant to say it, uh,
0: when i was speaking about derek Cleary was the the readmittance of three senators in the wake of Golfgate. i mean obviously there was some controversy around the point the fact that both yourselves and Fine gail did it at, at, at the same time was it appropriate to do that and 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 do you not think it sends out the wrong message that people who clearly were in breach of the rules are now essentially
1: you know they've, they've paid their punishment and moved on well no i think people uh, they were punished Uh, But I don't think it's fair that you punish somebody forever. Okay. Uh, I think they were very remorseful. I mean, they were really, when I spoke to them, they were just really very annoyed with themselves, very angry with themselves. Um, And um, so I I don't believe that will happen again.
0: Yeah. What do you think your legacy will be when you leave this office as Taoiseach in December 2022? Well, in terms of
1: the the key uh, areas, in in particular around housing, um, that I, I genuinely want to say that we've made a very significant impact on, on, on ensuring that people can both afford to buy houses and can get houses. Mm. Uh, in terms of health, to have fundamental reform embedded into the health system, uh, and, and that we will have a new paradigm around health services um, into the future. And also, as leader of a government, uh, of a historic coalition, that really, um, in a very impactful way, changed direction in Ireland towards the climate mm. uh, agenda. Uh, and on the, the Island of Ireland issue, uh, I genuinely believe the shared Island would leave a very lasting legacy. Do you uh, in agree in with Bertie Hearn that a referendum could be possible with it by the end of the decade? It could be, but I yeah. mean, I don't think I say I don't believe that it's all about polls. Okay, you know, I think we should learn from the Brexit poll. I yeah, mean, you know, people had the poll, but my God, there's been some mess since in the four years afterwards. But well, it's very so, clear
0: Brexit has shifted the sands. In what well, has shifted, to it.
1: Yeah. I'm aware of all those dynamics, yeah. and that's why I think we should work to, on, on the people-to-people basis. Yeah. I mean, my view on that is look. The, the three sets of relationships that, that applied in the Good Friday Agreement—British-Irish, North-South—and the two traditions will still apply, no matter what structures are created in an island of Ireland mm. in the future. We still have to work on those three sets of relationships. They're yeah. going to still be equally important, no matter what the structure or where the fulcrum of power is. Mm. You could still, have, you know. So um, I think we've got to learn to live better than we have, and I don't think we've utilised the potential of the Good Friday Agreement enough, mm. and that—that's the work that's needed. Um, and I think. With, with, we, with the ring fence funding we have now I think we can make a real um, telling impact here and do things properly on this island. A lot sure. of progress has been made yeah. and I think we can build on it. Uh, I, I was struck again in a previous interview I think... I can't remember And education was. is the other key area yeah. and uh, particularly in special needs education. Um, I'm still not happy that um, there's enough advocacy for the child within the system mm. um, and around assessments and the multidisciplinary supports that children with special needs require, we want to see that transformed in, 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 in both primary and post-primary education mm. over the next quarter.
0: I, as as you was saying, I was struck by an issue you gave previously where you descri- described essentially locking yourself in here late at night, working hard and kind of watching matches, etc. like that. I mean, people people often ask me, you know, do you relax? Do you get a bit of downtime? What do you do for, like if you're up here and your family are in Cork, I mean, how do you spend your downtime? Like, what do you do to try and switch well, the off? Main,
1: the main factor there was COVID has been a very restrictive um, impact on all our individuals lives yeah. you know so you, you, you kind of it's it's uh, you, there's no conviviality or uh, congregation anymore yeah and um, so what I do is I, I mean I walk <laughs> I read somewhat not obviously I'm um, uh, the the time frame to do all of that because of the job you yeah. lot a work involved here and COVID has really meant around the clock stuff and, yeah. uh, and Brexit did I mean Brexit took us right into Christmas Eve uh, and then we were in the middle of the starting the second wave as well yeah uh, so there was no Christmas really about yeah. uh, Christmas day but at the weekend, if I can get a good two-hour walks in on a yeah. Saturday and a Sunday, and get back to the family for a night, uh, maybe at the weekend. Are you trying to get lit down at least once a week? Are you? Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. I get down. I get down. Um, I get down tonight, and no, I'll be back up tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have more interviews on Sunday, um, and so I'll get a walk in and, and, and have a chat at home. Yeah. really. But on the, on the other side, there would have been a time if it was if it was non-COVID world. Mm. We'd be at dinners on a Friday night, of course. <laughs> on Saturday yeah. night. Yeah. Actually, so, you actually get a bit more quality time with family in a way. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's short because you're tea and that. You have to accept that. And the family accept that. That's yeah. part of the job. You what's know? the part of the job you like the most? Oh, um, what's the part of the job I like most?
0: Uh, is it this office? Is it the trappings? <coughs> or is it being able to actually get something done?
1: I, I think it's getting something done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course it is. That's what. Politics is essentially moving things on, making decisions. Yeah. Um, I get great satisfaction with making decisions on a whole range of issues, mm. and that's prior to cabinet and getting conclusions to memorandums to cabinet and so on. I also enjoy the um, working with European colleagues. I've always liked that dimension. Yeah. I enjoy the European Council meetings. They're tough, they're long, but you get a great insight in terms of what's going on globally. Um, yeah. And you know, you're dealing with 27 member states, each have their own problems and challenges, uh, and whether it's climate change or um, the Stimulus package, recovery fund, um, or COVID. Um, you know, you get it, it, these are very, very interesting and, 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 and meetings, and they're from that from someone who's been involved in public policy all my life. I just find that I find that very satisfactory. And the toughest part that engagement. Well, the toughest parts are when um, we have challenges like the last three weeks. And yeah. That to me would have been the toughest part. There's um, genuine concern about rising hospital numbers, rising mm-hmm. deaths, and, and people getting ill. And wor- I was very worried about the hospital situation okay. uh, and would have had daily engagements with Paul. Worried that it would as be overwhelmed? Can- yeah, yeah. What could- I, that was a big concern. What more can we do to help you with staff? What more can we do on certain, you know, just tell us anything yeah. we can do, we'll do. Uh, but that I think, you know, that that was and continues to be a worrying aspect. And that's why I said from the outset of this interview that you know, we've got to really get those numbers done and give okay. the people in our hospitals a break. Yeah. You know? Do you share the view that Leo Rackers
0: tried to undermine you at every twist and every turn since he's become downish? I don't, know. No.
1: Um, no, look, we're, we're two leaders of two different political parties. Yeah, of course, there'll be a bit of jostling from time to time. But I think he's, he, he, he is Leo. He's his different way of doing things yeah. and his different approaches and, he's, uh, and so on. And, and so people, I mean, I'm well known in politics, people interpret things that necessarily aren't what the politician intended in the first place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have you had any
0: major rows? You said you've jousted, but I mean, have there been any sort of, like, because people are just interested in, I suppose, in yeah, the, I the think it's a historic inter- coalition, I suppose, people what's are interested. What's
1: interesting is, I think, that cabinet coordinating meeting we have has worked. Yeah. Uh, it's a good forum. We have a facility where the three leaders will pick up the phone to each other very regularly. Yeah. And if there's an issue, he's upfront about raising an issue with you. Yeah. Uh, if he has a concern about something. Mm. Um, and I think that is working.
0: What was the most um, testing issue? Because again, it just be in, like, I mean, was there a particular issue, say, like, I mean, say for example, when he went on TV and, and really put the boot into Tony Holland and Neffert, I mean, was there a disagreement there?
1: Well, uh, I mean, um, when you say disagreement, we just.
0: Uh, no, I, I think. Well, I mean, he made a very clear view that he didn't think Neff had thought that thing through. But you were very clear the next day in your public utterances, you expressed confidence in Tony
1: Hole, and there was a divergence oh, on the surface. Yeah, and the in fairness, to- re engaged with Tony and made it up, so to yeah. so speak. And, you know, so there wasn't an issue between, I mean, look, we've got to allow people space to say things, and so we're, we're tolerant of each other's utterances. Yes. Okay. I put it that way, right? Yeah. I think the more where the, where the tensions have been, if they have been, and they haven't been huge, it would be certainly around aspects of, you know, when you open up, when you lock down, there have been some areas around that from summer onwards, you know, yeah. people who have different perspectives. Because they were obviously, some in we were pushing for businesses to open earlier. That's it. Yeah, and it's very trying, because everyone's under pressure, everyone's yeah. ringing everybody, you know, uh, like it's, and I could see the seesawing in the dial, you yeah. know, like so those people in the dial now who were attacking us for not opening pubs early enough, who no one's COVID. The president of Sinn Féin. And one, but yeah. there's others, you know, and we've moved all that in one month, you yeah. know. Uh, so like people are changing views. So, so but, but like, we walked it through, you know, we walked it through. Okay. And, and what I like is once we walk it through, there's collective responsibility. Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, one very final question, if I may. Um, you were clearly very passionate about setting up a department of higher education, but you gave it to Simon Harris. That has left an awful lot of people scratching their heads. Why, if you were so keen on getting that department,
1: would you not give it to one of your own? Well, we're very keen at getting it established. Yeah. And we had, we had um, education. We had uh, the, the education portfolio. I, I didn't think it would have been wise to have two education portfolios okay. in the sense that we were anxious about housing and health. Mm. We, you know, they're tough, challenging portfolios, housing and health. Um, but the key point was to establish the department. I think Simon is, is, is enthusiastic and enjoying that department. Mm. And I'm working with him on it. Uh, and my attitude is uh, you know, I think he, he'll, he'll work well in that department. And we're, we're going, we're actually, we'll actually be meeting shortly our own research. He knows, and in fairness to him, he's read everything. that like he's, he's clever. Right? He comes in saying, you you did say X, Y, and Z when you're in opposition. I think I agree with you, and I need the resources to do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he's, done, he's done his homework. He's done his homework, yeah. Very good. But I think, look, that that's, for me, it's the policy decision to set it up, and it's working. Yeah, okay. me, home, Martin, thank you very much. Thank you indeed. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Well, thanks very much for listening, and be sure to check out the new Politics Hub on irisexaminer.com for all the latest and breaking news and analysis. Bye for now.